You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. compelled to come here today and tell this story because I had a fucking huge now is the time moment and uh, I wanted to air it so we were in a um, very clinical room with white bricks and there's a surgical bed and some lockers and we were asked to get into some surgical gowns so we dressed into our surgical gowns with a hat and bum flap thing and um, then we were led into another huge room and it was really dark and very warm and I remember there were green kind of art deco lights um, pointing downwards onto some flock wallpaper and they put me onto this bed and then put my legs up into stirrups and then they got the green curtain and it just made me think like whenever there's anything to do with your vagina, they always put like a curtain up, like so they can't see you and you can't see them. It's kind of like a vaginal knee curtain. So they're behind them and, you, and, and you're there and you don't know what's gonna happen, but how did I get there, right? So um, when I was 16, my fallopian tube burst and I was hemorrhaging for a week and a half before my mum took me up to A&E on the 26 bus and I had some blood transfusions and a massive operation and I was in hospital for weeks, but the NHS saved my life. <laughs> and um, I came out of there though at 16 knowing that I was infertile and I would never be able to have babies. So I've, when I've reflected on that, now I'm older, I realized that it dictated a lot of my life's decisions. Sorry. <laughs> and. Uh, I have a massive family and they were having loads of babies. So by the time I was 30, I had like 18 nephews and nieces and I love them all and I love being their auntie. But it kind of made me feel um, kind of left out and like I wasn't in the gang. Because my mum was always knitting for them and looking after their kids for them and not for me. And people would always say to me, oh, you'd make such a great mum. And I'd be like, all right. And uh, <laughs> look after everybody else's kids. But um, I used to have these amazing dreams where I was pregnant and I would be at full term. So I'd have this huge tummy and it would be firm but with really soft skin. And it was quite surreal because I could feel the baby moving inside me. And I was really happy and really content. And then I'd wake up. And for just a split second, I would still have that beautiful contentment feeling. And then I would realize, and I would be over, overwhelmed with the pain um, that it wasn't true, that I was back in reality. I'd be devastated. But it did, it did, it did help me 
basically, I filled my life with other stuff. So I did loads of amazing um, jobs abroad for charities, and um, I had great careers, and I still looked after everybody else's kids. And every time I used to come back, I used to go to hospital and have tests to see if I could have fertility treatment. And, uh, well, one of those times, I was in the Royal Free, and I was in the smoking room, because <laughs> you could smoke in hospitals then, <laughs> and uh, I got chatting to this girl, and I asked her for a light, and it turned out that she was having a termination, and it just made me think about the contradictions in life, and how, when I was, I was talking to a midwife recently, and, and she was saying it's still the same, that anything that goes on down there all gets shoved in one corner of the hospital, it all gets shoved in one space. So, but anyway, I used to have these tests and they'd always come back and say, you, you wouldn't be eligible for IVF because it wouldn't work. And I even, at one point, went back to uni and I wrote this whole dissertation on the commercialization of hope and how actually I didn't, um, how, I didn't think that IVF was helpful for women because they had to choose how many times to have IVF and then they had to deal with the horror of it not working. So that was where my headspace was. And I also realized that I used to go out with right bastards. I would always go out with horrible men. And, um, or if they were nice, I'd always push them away. And, and the, I used to call it marriage avoidance syndrome because if I didn't have to settle down and I didn't have to deal with having the babies bit, I tried being a lesbian once, but it didn't work. And then, um, so, but then um, this guy came along and he was, he was really lovely to me and I was really horrible to him and it didn't matter how horrible was he, I was to him, he kept coming back. Um, there was one point where we were on a date and he tried to kiss me and I just physically pushed him away and told him not to be so desperate. <laughs> and he... We fell in love. I don't know how, but we did. We fell in love finally, and I decided, we decided at that time that actually now's the time. And we remortgaged the flat, and we found a consultant, and we went for fertility treatment. And I'm not going to go into the whole 18 months of hell that we went through with IVF, of bloods and scans and injections and drugs more drugs and swelling and disproportionate amount of people looking at my fanny. It was just hell. Um, but it brought us to this place right now in this implantation room that was really dark and quiet and serious. And I had my vagina curtain and the embryologists were behind there and suddenly one of them pops up behind the curtain and says, we have three very nice embryos to put into you today, Miss Stuff. And I don't know why, but it made me laugh. And Steve started laughing, and we really started laughing. And if there's ever a point in your life where you, you can't laugh, it was then. It, we'd waited 18 months and 10 grand, and we were just about to have implantation, and we couldn't stop laughing. And I couldn't stop. You know when you try to stop, you start convulting. And if you're a bit fat, your belly starts going like that. And, and it was really jiggling, and the guy kept saying, not to laugh, not now, not now. And I was holding on to him, and I remember the tears going down and going into my hair, my hair and my ears. 
And anyway, he, the, one of the little embryos got stuck in the tube, and the guy had to go off and unstick the embryo. And there was the other embryologist was still down there for a while, which was a bit awkward because I don't know what he was looking at. But then the other one, <laughs> then the other one came back, and he'd unstuck the embryo, and he, he implanted the embryo, and I had three embryos. Um, we went home. And I went to bed, and that night, I loved my embryos. Um, but unfortunately, the next day, I started bleeding and cramping, and that happened for weeks and months. And it was like living in pure fear and dread. And I used to shout at my body, stop fucking bleeding. And... At one point, I started changing my pads more often so that there was less blood on it so I could convince myself that it was stopping. But on the 1st of December, 2007, I had a baby girl. She's healthy. And it just made me realize that um, it's all right to change your mind and we've all, all be open to recognizing when now is the time. <laughs> Sorry. Two Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich. 